Listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Sight. The following podcast contains adult language, adult situations, and spoilers for the movies discussed occur often. You've been warned. Now, take it away, Dr. Rausch. They must be destroyed on sight. And welcome back. It is They Must Be Destroyed on Site, episode 210. And I'm your host, Lee, the most outstanding living monstrosity of all time, Russell. And I'm joined by my co-host, Daniel. Offend one, you offend them all. Harper, how you doing, sir? I'm uh, I'm doing well. Doing well. Don't have a joke. Sorry. No joke. No joke today. <laughs> I'm doing well. All right. Uh, yeah. So... We're doing something a little bit different here. I'm playing around the soundboard uh, that I bought. Uh, so we actually now have the ability for uh, voicemail. So we're going to get to actually one of those uh, a little bit later here. We do have some uh, house cleaning to do here and uh, some stuff we watch. So, uh, yeah, we'll just jump right into it. First off, we have Peter Theobald, who has been commenting a lot lately um, and been sharing stuff from Movie Drome with us as well. Uh, he shared another uh, Alex Cox introduction to that show. I realized it was a show. I didn't know what the fuck Movie Drome was at first. And I was like, I should look into this. And if you actually go on YouTube and you just search Movie Drome, every one of the uh, little intros to it will pop up. It was basically just a movie show the BBC had with Alex Cox hosting it, and they just had a lot of movies under license that they otherwise weren't really playing on their network. And he was like, well, why don't we do a show? And they did a show. And, uh, yeah, he uh, he supplied a intro to uh, Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia this time. I thought it was kind of interesting because he, he talks about how when he first saw it, he didn't like the film at all. and and then it it took a while for it to grow on him to the point where he's like oh shit this is actually a classic that i love yeah it's kind of a weird film right i mean i think we did that episode and i i feel bad of kind of like i was a slightly uh you know kind of down on it when we did it for the for the show um i've always meant to kind of revisit it again because i remember loving it kind of upon first viewing and then kind of kind of hit me cold on a second. Um, so, you know, well, uh, I don't know, but uh, yeah, it's a weird movie. I kind of get, it's very easy to sort of like overlook it, I think. Um, yeah. And just going on that track, Peter Theobald left a comment under our YouTube version of uh, bringing the head of Alfredo Garcia. I uh, said, must watch this again. Saw it. What seemed like six months after uh, Pat Garrett and Billy, the kid on initial release and found it to be so different in style in every way. Having watched it many times since, I agree that it is a sort of self-portrait of the man, uh, self-portrait of that man, of that the man had made. I, I know what you're saying. Um, it, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, 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 it's Peck and Paws. 
Yeah, it's uh, a self-portrait of the man that made it. Yeah. Yeah. You uh, name-checked Convoy, which my son set and watched with me when he was about 12. He had probably watched it more times now than I've watched the original Magnificent Seven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Convoy's fun. It's got Chris Christopherson in it. It's a trucking movie. A lot of mm-hmm. a lot of movies in the seventies were about you know trucks and going cross country and RVs and stuff like that. Like that was kind of the decade where that kind of exploded. You know, people getting vans and stuff like that. You know, so yeah, like the van, mm-hmm. National Lampoon's Vacation. You know, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So thanks for the comments there, Peter. Uh, always appreciated. We have one from Robert Ward on our Facebook group talking about freaks here. I recently just got a, which is the movie we're doing, by the way. I, I totally forgot to introduce that. But, I mean, if you're listening to the podcast, you should fucking know uh, if you can read. Um, yeah, from 1932, not the Alex Winter version, just to be clear. <laughs> That's freaked anyway, isn't it, right? I was it freaked? Okay, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Robert Ward said, I recently just got a graphic novel that came out last year based on the life of Schultze, the pinhead who was in the film. I can't wait to hear what you have to say about this classic. Yeah. Yeah. And now... Our very first, well, not our first voicemail, because we've had them before, but now I have the ability to play them live, and we can just, like, react to them live. So uh, we have a a voicemail from a friend of mine, a podcaster, uh, Vaughn. Please tell me it's not just where's the movie. That would be hilarious if we get, like, 20 of them. (laughs) Where's the movie? No, um, just abusing the voicemail privileges would be what that is. Well, uh, Vaughn does have a way of abusing the voicemail privileges anyway, so okay. uh, we'll get into that right now. You'll see it. Uh, he's he's going a bit under his uh, alter ego here, which he's uh, used on other podcasts. So, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Hi, how you doing there? My name is Wayne. <laughs> Hello, Alan. Anyway, hi. Lee knows me. How you doing, Lee? Hi. Hi, hi, hi. Daniel, you'll get to know me if I keep fucking sending you voicemails. You guys are jumping back into the 30s. Uh, I'm very upset that you guys didn't do ammo crackers because you couldn't get a copy of it, even though I told Lee I'd fucking mail him a copy. But that's just fucking me between me and the goddamn Canadian. Who the fuck knows? Uh, but Freaks, great film. Lovely film. Uh, I'm amazed that you guys are doing such a high-class film. Actually, I actually can see you guys doing a film like this. Other podcasts that I know that play my voicemails occasionally, I don't think they'd ever be able to handle this kind of film because the brains are just mush from garbage. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I love this film. Uh, got the DVD when it first came out. Just bought it sight on scene and saw it when I was working. Uh, picked it up, um, and I love it. And I'm a big fan of Todd Browning before this. So I liked all the stuff he did that's available. Um, black and white, those, the Cheney stuff. Uh, I like Dracula, even though I think that the Spanish one's better. I think it's, just, it's not as fucking, you know, shot like a fucking play. Uh, that's the problem with Browning is that that film just kind of... Everybody's like, oh, it's the best fucking film. Oh, you know, fist fuck fucking Browning for that film. But it's kind of janky. It's kind of, eh. The Spanish one, they definitely can win. Hey, we can do a lot of better film. It's great. You know, I like it. Eh, you know, I know. Fight me on it. Fuck you. I don't care. Uh, but this film is really cool. The fact that he was daring enough to take people who had those disabilities and actually worked in the freak show and did the fucking thing with it. And the fact that the scenes that are cut, they were never going to see uh, these people performing their parts and stuff like that. It's amazing. You know what I mean? Um, 
and that he actually had the knowledge of working in this in the sideshow and working in the circus as a kid and before he became a director. It's it's awesome. And a lot of his films, if you look at a lot of the older black and white stuff, it's about circus life and stuff like that. Kind of really one note, but I still like Todd Browning for who he is. Anyway, Lee, thank you for making this available. I can now send you a little clips like this. It's gonna be great, Daniel. You'll fucking understand. Yes. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to go kill myself right now. You guys go kill yourselves right now. And I'm out of this, motherfucker. Goodbye. And there we go. Thank you, Vaughn. <laughs> Definitely looking forward to fist fucking Todd Browning on this show. What else What else do we have to say? I mean, you kind of did the film for us. Yeah. Yeah, review's yeah. over. Thanks, Vaughn. Yeah. You did it's the show for us. Let's see. He hit all. He hit all the marks. Real freaks. Todd Browning. Circus. Fist fuck. We're out of here. Yeah, we're done. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Also, are uh, you drinking fucking Grolsch right now? I am drinking Grolsch. Yeah. Yeah. I ran out of the bottle too. This like, is the only beer I I drink out of the bottle, just because uh, I'm a, an aesthetic fucking nerd who uh, you know likes doing that. Although I, I argue, you know, this this is one of those European beers that's actually improved by getting the little slight skunk. Yeah, sure. And that's why I drink it out of the bottle. And yeah. And I just feel fancy, you know, with the swing top. So. Yeah, no, those swing tops, you know, it's uh at first I thought maybe it was homebrew, and then I'm like, is he drinking Grolsch? And it's like, yeah, I'm drinking Grolsch. Hey, it's a it's a thing. Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, but uh yeah, thanks, Vaughn. I'm gonna have to uh do a response to you whenever your next show comes comes around. Uh and insult the hell out of you. So uh yeah, there we go. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's it for feedback, uh, and uh, we can move into what we've watched in the last little while, so uh, I'll throw it over to you first there, Daniel. Uh, sure, uh, just uh, very briefly, I went on a bit of a Philip Marlowe kick. The Long Goodbye is uh, on Amazon Prime right now, and so I was uh, sitting, I was like, yeah, I got two hours for bed, put it on, great as ever. Um, mm-hmm. My wife actually watched it with me, or like watched most, I mean, she was kind of like playing on her phone and kind of looked up every now and then, mm-hmm. and I was like, wait a minute, did did he just like smash her face with a bottle? I'm like, yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. <laughs> you know, like, um, you know, and uh, so uh, uh, great as ever. Uh, really enjoyed rewatching that. And then once you uh, watch, go check out our old review of that. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. don't really have anything new to say. Just rewatch it. Enjoyed it. Thought it was as great as as I did originally. Got to share it with my wife and kind of explain some of the 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 the, the Robert Altman does Marlowe-ness of it. And then once you um, watch The Long Goodbye and you get a little bit more time before bed, uh, the only real option is then to rewatch The Big Sleep. And so mm. uh, watch The Big Sleep. More greatly bracket again, a film we already did. Yep. I think we kind of covered that. We did. I mean, I'm very happy with the review we did on that. In fact, those are two of my favorite episodes that we've done, frankly. Yeah. And so I don't need to really revisit it. Yeah, no, uh, it was it was such a great rewatch. And uh, one of the things that I was struck by kind of rewatching The Big Sleep after The Long Goodbye is like how horny The Big Sleep is. <laughs> <laughs> Even beyond, like everybody thinks of Bogart and Bacall as being like, well, you know, this is they're very horny for each other. But everybody's fucking horny for Bogart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is incredibly horny start to finish. And it's alone. So, you know, and I mean, even like the, the, the younger daughter, um, in the very yeah. first scene was like, you know, she tried to sit in my lap when I was standing up. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It really was, it really is one of those things that like, you know, um, 
admire I mean I admire that film so greatly and you know we can we kind of got like dug in on the plot when we did that one the yeah. first time but it really is just a joy to behold uh, it's just it's just a lovely lovely film so uh yeah rewatch those two don't really have anything more to add except uh, they're both great as they were when we discussed them originally so check them out awesome yeah one thing I'll mention I watched uh, this is just new on Netflix it's called uh, The Old Guard it's a mm-hmm. uh, brand new, uh, based on a comic book uh, movie. Uh, it's based on like an, I think, an independent comic or like a comic from Image Comics. Anyways, it's not from one of the big two, starring Char- Charlize Theron. Uh, you know, just sort of riffing on her Furiosa stuff. You know, as you know, the kick-ass uh, female lead or whatever. It's basically, it's basically like Highlander if the Immortals work together as like an elite. Uh, special forces unit instead of trying to chop each other's heads off. Right, sure. And it's not bad. It's it's fun. It's, yeah, I saw the ads for that. It looked it looked pretty fun. It looked pretty yeah. Fun. I kind of enjoyed it. I mean, it's it's kind of long, but it's it's basically covering like the first uh, series of comics, I guess. Mm-hmm. So it, it's it's just about, it's just about you know these immortal warriors who they can die, but it takes a long goddamn time. Like they keep coming back to life over and over again. And, you know, eventually that kind of runs out, but it, it's just these, these sort of tired warriors who were, were trying to do good in the world and they're, they're starting to feel like uh, we're not doing anything. And then this new one of them sort of pops up that they discover and they try to protect her. And uh, there's government agencies trying to find these guys. There's a big pharma dude uh, who's actually the, uh, the limbless uh, kid from uh, Buster Scruggs. Uh, sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's uh, a record that's going to come back here in a few minutes. But yeah, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's actually a lot of fun. Uh, it, it's not you know super super deep or anything like that. But there's uh, some really great moments. There's it's probably out of all these sort of like 1990s early 2000s action films based on like some sort of comic property where there's like a kick ass female lead. This is probably better than almost all of those. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's surprisingly. Well, I guess not surprisingly considering the year it's made, but very good on like just uh, homosexual relationships because there there is a homosexual relationship in it, which was there's this one moment with uh, the two gay men where they're like captured and one of them has like this speech to all these fucking like SWAT guys who have captured them and shit. And it's pretty good. It's pretty fucking I, I fucking nice. cheered for it. It was oh, really no. good. Well, definitely going to have to check this out then. That's 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 clear. Yeah. Yeah. I love it when a movie can present <laughs> homosexual relationships as normal without it sticking out like a sore thumb. Like, here's the right. message. Gay people are all right. It's like, no, gay people are all right. You know, big, no big deal. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no. No, I get that. I, I get that completely. I mean, you know, it is like, you know, look, message, message film, you know, yeah. sort of thing. It's like, I mean, that's great. I get your, your heart's in the right place. When you have to emphasize it too hard, it's just kind of sometimes like, you know, no, it's okay. We can just be gay. And yeah. it's fine. <laughs> yeah, no, but it, it is fun. It, it is a bit long, but um, I think it, it kept me entertained throughout the whole thing. And uh, if you were a little, you know, iffy on checking it out on Netflix, I'd say check it out. It's one of the best uh, offerings they've had in a, quite a while. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, I, I, I will probably do that, yeah. Uh, okay, so we're going to take a quick break, uh, play some podcast promos and some music, and we're going to come back with Freaks from 1932. How about throwing a little beach party for yourself and letting these people to get to know you oh so better? 
Hey kids, it's me, your good friend Alistair, here to tell you about a wonderful movie podcast called Get Soft with Dr. Snuggles. What happens is, every two weeks, the love of my life, Siobhan, and I are joined by a cast of friends, family, internet weirdos, and special guests to guide you through the wild and woolly world of erotic thrillers and softcore films. Everything from alien abduction, intimate secrets, to Zarita, Passion's Avenger, and all points in between. Check it out now on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's that horrid man talking about? Right, Freaks from 1932, uh, directed by Todd Browning, who is a director, writer, producer. He, he has 50 directing credits uh, just on, on films alone. Uh, started in the silent era, uh, made his way through, uh, n- known for The Unholy Three from 1925. His, his famous lost film, uh, London After Midnight from 1927, which uh, Apparently, the only surviving copy was destroyed in a fire, MGM building fire, I guess. There there was a reconstruction of it that was, it's like one of those um, Doctor Who B- BBC reconstructions, right, right. you know? Mm-hmm. 
where it's just like all photos and stuff. Of course, he's probably most famously known for doing Dracula from 1931, which was like his big hit that sort of green-lighted him doing this, which <laughs> we'll talk about ended his career, basically, <laughs> at least yeah. doing you know what he wanted to do in Hollywood. He's also known for Mark of the Vampire, which is uh, from 35, which is actually kind of a unofficial remake of London After Midnight. Uh, so that's probably the closest you're ever going to get to actually seeing that film uh, put to screen. We should put it on the list. Yeah, for sure. Mm. Uh, he also did The Devil Doll from 1936. As uh, Vaughn mentioned in his voicemail, he ran away and joined the circus at age 16. And yep. uh, yeah, and you know, he worked his way up in the circus. Uh, <laughs> there was some talk of he was a blackface performer for a while, one of the acts he did. <laughs> You know, it's one of those like you know, if you were in the circus in you know in 1905, it's just something you did. I mean, you, you know, like did what they it, told you to it's do. Hard to, you know, like I mean, I'm not saying it was okay. I'm just saying it was done. I mean, you know, like apparently, uh, apparently, he also did like a Caligari thing. He did like the Living Corpse or something like that. Was one of his oh, acts. Nice. Yeah. So this is uh, written by Charles Aaron Todd Robbins, who wrote the original story Spurs. That is sort of the uh, adaptation here. Um, I read into that a little bit. It, it does differ slightly. Like the the, the ending's definitely a bit different. Um, but it, it, this is pretty much Spurs. And then the other writers here, Willis Goldbeck, Leon Gordon, Al Bosberg, Charles MacArthur, and Edgar Allan Wolfe. And all these people had, like, a shit ton of credits. And I could spend the entire episode just listing them. So, like, they, they all had pretty right. good careers. Like, they all had, like, 30, 40 credits for the most part. Some of them had worked with uh, Browning several times before this. So, yeah. So, uh, cast list here. We have Wallace Ford as Feroso, uh, Leah Hymans as Venus, Olga Baklanova returning here from The Man Who Laughs as Cleopatra, Roscoe Eights as Roscoe, Henry Victor as Hercules, Harry Earls and Daisy Earls as Hans and Frida, respectively, Rose Dion as Madame uh, Tetralini. Tetralini. Yeah, damn. Uh, Daisy and Violet uh, Hilton as the Siamese twins, uh, Schiltze as himself. Josephine Joseph as half woman, half man. Which I, I, and I thought this was an interesting one. Apparently, there was a lot of performers back in the day that kind of did this act where they weren't actual hermaphrodites. But they, because, you, of course, hermaphrodites are not one side of the body is a man, one side of the body is a woman, right? Like, <laughs> right. And also, like, hermaphrodites don't exist in, like, the human species. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, 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 the term should be intersex, but, you know, like, we'll, yeah. we'll just kind of let that go for now. But, but, it, but yeah, it's, no, it's, they apparently worked out one side of the yes. body and didn't work out the other. And so, like, they had, like, kind of a smooth, feminized ap- uh, appearance on mm-hmm. one side and, you know, yeah, no. <laughs> that's, that's definitely a thing. <laughs> yes, yeah, uh, I thought that was fascinating that 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 was a thing that was kind of common uh johnny eck is half boy and man that guy can move on his arms like oh yeah definitely uh francis o'connor is armless girl who uses her foot at one point to drink a big goblet of beer and was like yeah you go girl peter robinson is the human skeleton uh olga roderick as bearded lady cuckoo as herself and prince randian is the living torso who looks like Uncle Phil from Fresh Prince of Bel Air? <laughs> yes, I could. I couldn't help but think he that in his sixties. Who was in his sixties at this point? Yeah, yeah. 
and who yeah, apparently he, fathered like three children or something. <laughs> you know, it's like, apparently you know. the apparently this guy could do like just he he was so adept at using his mouth to do what his hand his you know missing hands uh, couldn't do. He used his mouth to build like a lockbox and to to keep his possessions in. Like he was that good at using his mouth for you know just doing day to day tasks, which is just amazing. Um, I mean, he fathered three children, so I imagine his mouth was used for other things as well. Uh, probably, yeah. I did not pull an official synopsis from this, but somehow I fucked up there. But I mean, essentially the synopsis here is uh, Hans, who is uh, a dwarf uh, in, in the uh, sideshow, falls in love with Cleopatra, who is this vain, really shitty person who strings him along and discovers that, uh, oh, he's actually filthy rich. So maybe I should string him along and kill him and inherit all of his money. And then, of course, the rest of the story sort of involves the uh, surrounding uh, freaks, uh, quote unquote, in the show and their day to day lives. And it all sort of comes to a head as a horror movie in the last act. And uh, yeah, that, that's kind of it. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Is this the first time watch for you, Daniel? Oh, no, no. I've seen this before. I've seen this okay. a few times. Um, you know, this was uh, this was I, I rewatched this this afternoon, but I've seen it, you know. Probably two or three times over the course of the last like ten years or whatever. Um, actually, I do want to, um, you know, I do want to start here for kind of kind of dig into the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, is this a horror film? Like, what's your what are your thoughts? I certainly say, sort of advertised as one. Yeah, and certainly shot kind of like one. But I would argue this is not a horror film, and so I. But I want to get your thoughts first. I think the last act dips into it a bit, but I don't think it's an out and out horror film because I mean it that's kind of implying if it, even if it's just you know a little bit under the uh under the table there it's it's kind of implying that these freaks are like horror monsters or something like that which they are not. Uh, at, at the the stuff they do at the end they do because they're wronged by the real monsters in this film which are these two shitty people uh Olga her, herself there Cleopatra at one point, she's she she sounds like every Nazi Aryan bitch you'd you'd ever hear the way she talks to these people. You know, like they're very much sort of positioned as it, it's more of a class struggle film, I think, than it is a horror film more than anything else. Like, there's definitely you can definitely read it as like the horrors of class struggle and like uh, the rich holding down the poor. I mean, that's definitely horrific stuff. But I wouldn't necessarily say it actually falls into straight cinematic horror. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me, like, a, you know, a kind of traditional horror film has to, and, and you know, you're much more conversant with this than I am, but, um, you know, almost by definition is going to dehumanize the, the monsters in the, yeah. in the film, right? And here, like, if anything, it's the, it's, it's you know, it's Cleopatra who was dehumanized, who was, who was treated as the, as the monster, you know, I think, I think you're right there. Um, the film spends a lot of time humanizing the quote-unquote freaks of the of the title mm-hmm. um and in fact we spend most of our time with them and like the real through line is like them getting their kind of comeuppance against where they've been wronged um and so while it's uh you know the end of the film is a bit of a shot like a horror film and it does have some of those elements um you know to isolate that as i think a lot of people do when they talk about this film they kind of isolate those yeah. bits and go yeah, this is, I mean, A, it's completely effective, and Todd Browning was known as, you know, kind of the eye to Dracula, and so, you know, it's it's so effective at kind of doing that thing, but to isolate that and pretend like that's what the film is about is to miss what the film is actually yeah. about. 
I think it's important to note that this film was made in 1932. The Nazis took power in Germany in 1933. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, eugenics was a was a huge thing uh, around this time. You know, um, the Cassie Buck case, the Carrie Buck case, was uh, just a few years previous to this. That's the uh, three generations of imbeciles are enough, and like kind of forced sterilization of oh, yeah. idiots, and and you know that. You know, phenomenon. This is completely mainstream stuff at the time. I'm not going to say not controversial, but completely within the realms of like this is just sort of like what people did. Every you know, it was it was in the air uh, completely mm-hmm. to make a film like this in 1932. I was sitting and thinking, like you know, we used to play a game sometimes. Remake this. Can you imagine if I said to a studio head, "I want to remake Freaks from 1932"? It's like, okay, we got to get Scarlett Johansson and CGI. You know, uh, like, yeah. can you imagine the, like, modern remake of Freaks with a whole bunch of, like, character actors and big-name people, you know, fancy CGI to make them look like the Freaks from 1932, whereas uh, this, he just casts people yeah. who are, you know, performers, who are who are circus performers, who have their own kind of human dignity and he gives them space on screen to be themselves. And he's basically mm-hmm. casting people as themselves in order to kind of show this world and to kind of give us a sense of, and I like these people as people. And yes, the film definitely leans into the disabilities. I mean, it leans into sort of the freakish aspects. I mean, you do get the, like, the girl who drinks a goblet of beer with her toes yeah. and you get, um, you know, uh, Prince Randy and, you know, kind of uh, lighting the cigarette with his, yeah. uh, with his mouth, which is phenomenal stuff. Like it really was like, I rewound it and watched it again this time when I was watching the film, because it's such a, um, it's such a great little bit of business. I mean, and that was apparently one of his big tricks that he would do on stage even. What a, um, what, a what a fucking amazing. guy that guy must have been. Fuck. Oh yeah, can you imagine? I just I just want to sit for an hour and talk to that guy, you yeah. know, and, and get his experience. And if anything, you know, I mean, I I do wonder. I mean, you may have this in your notes, like what? Because originally there was like a ninety minute version of this, and then it was kind of yep. cut down. And I do wonder, like, did did we actually get to see kind of more of them on stage, kind of doing their stuff, or was there kind of more dialogue stuff, and you, know, you kind of get a sense of their their personalities a little bit more, or? Do you know what was actually lost from the film? From what I understand, uh, doing some research here, it really was a lot of just showing the freaks doing the thing more. And, mm-hmm. and apparently it was, you know, the screenings, the reactions it provoked immediately was like, we need to cut like 30 minutes into this. We <laughs> we, we need to chop this down. A lot of that's lost. Also, um, one of the big things that's cut out of this is Hercules' character. His fate mm-hmm. is left kind of ambiguous uh, <laughs> in the surviving version. Uh, there was a version that's uh, well documented, apparently, that he gets castrated, and there's apparently there were scenes where you know his voice is like ah, you know, and instead of you know the the gruff Hercules that he was, right? So, well, <laughs> I mean, there is something to be said for you know the freaks like castrate. I mean, again, in 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 this time period, in this kind of thought of like in in the midst of this eugenics era, the freaks getting one over on their captors and are there of uh, the high society people, the, mm-hmm. the the people who pass for normal, quote unquote, you know, both getting their comeuppance through being <laughs> transformed into freaks, and then in fact, you take the big tough like Aryan guy and turn him into. And cut his well, balls off. That's that's a little bit on the nose. You know? Yeah, but at the same I mean, time, not in a bad way. It's just like you know, no, no, no. Like, that's that's completely on the nose. Yeah, but uh, it is interesting that 
there is like an underlying message there that the freaks don't really, they do punish them, but at the same time, they give them a new lease on life because they're making them equal with the rest of the freaks at that point. And the freaks are depicted as people that deserve respect and dignity. And I mean, if, if the, our two, uh, villains here have to learn that lesson by becoming equal with the freaks, you know, no longer lording themselves over them. There, there could be, you know, a read there that it, it might eventually make them better people, you know? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, certainly, I mean, there's a, I mean, if we do read this as sort of a metaphor for class struggle, which is, I mean, whenever you talk about sort of like disability as a sort of metaphor for, for class or whenever you try to kind of read mm-hmm. these readings into each other they they don't map completely and so there is some yeah. there is some, there is some gray area here but if you do read it as sort of a metaphor for class struggle you see that you know i mean essentially you've got you know the the big like kind of wealthy high-end people who can kind of go about in kind of ordinary society who are not you know and they are oppressing kind of these lower classes and then are getting being um you know to turn them into freaks to turn them into it's just to, it's to take their wealth and to take their power away and make them you know kind of one with like the rest of us you know mm-hmm. so i really do think there is a there is a level on which you know <laughs> you know the, the the film is making us is making us ask who is who are the real freaks like who are the real yeah. like uh, the, the real uh uh, deformities in the society and because we do get this like very humane portrait of the sideshow performers and then like the you know the the fucking like <laughs> the pretty people are fucking monsters you know? well <laughs> yeah just... and 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 i mean this is a whole society like this this is this the sort of uh, carnival society in a bubble kind of thing where they are their own little world there are uh stratifications in this little world uh, to a certain degree. But for the most part, most of these people get along. Like most of the quote unquote normies and freaks get along. They're, they're family, you know, they, they like each other. They love each other. They're, they're getting married. The, the, yeah, the, the big freak, the stuttering guy, <laughs> it's, it's just like okay yeah we've got uh we got a we got a couple of little people we got a legless man we got a bearded lady we got pinheads we got the siamese twins uh we got limbless uncle phil from fresh prince and we got the stutterer what a freak man like <laughs> but but he's he's, he's making never boat scene in public but but he's marrying one half of the siamese twins oh god it's such a great that's such a great little scene when like, he's talking to the other twin yeah and it's like hey can you can you drink a little bit less you get hung up for it my wife doesn't want to get <laughs> it's just like such a like you know like but this, it's such a like, slice of life domestic kind of thing you know i mean you know and uh, i mean this movie's pretty horny too like everyone's yeah. down Everybody. the bone with each other pretty much it's like he, he's he's gonna be boning one half of the siamese twins and the other one's gonna be there for it so really yeah 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 uh i mean uh also the the bearded lady gives birth uh, like the bearded lady shacked up with the the, the uh skeleton man or whatever the human yeah. skeleton and so yeah there's definitely an anti-eugenics thing going on here even if it's not necessarily something they were necessarily thinking about you know like message movie or whatever right right but, yeah no, i mean yeah but it, it would have been completely obvious to the audience at the time and i think that that's a lot of what made people uncomfortable at the time you know it was mm-hmm. kind of watching these scenes they're kind of watching this stuff and being you know like it is you're asking me to identify with fucking circus freaks yeah <laughs> you know? and i mean again you would see this today it would be i mean I, again i can't imagine them kind of doing this and it not like being turned into some really you know this grotesquery 
you know, kind of thing. Did you ever see? Um, were you, did you ever watch American Horror Story? Any of the scenes to that show? I've seen I've seen little bits and pieces, but I've never really watched a full episode of it or anything. Yeah, so. I mean, you know, like my wife has kind of gotten dipped in and out of it, and like I've known people who got into it. So um, I've seen I've seen a bit of it, but they did a season in a carnival in a freak show, and uh, you know, kind of similar uh, characters from from this film in a lot of ways. Um, and of course, you know, they did uh, you know some of it is like CG or kind of makeup, and then some of it is like kind of people who actually have these these disabilities. They and, had uh, a pinhead character in that, did they not? I, God, I can't remember. I, I, you know, but I know they had like a, uh, a set of conjoined twins who were, uh, and I believe that was uh, makeup because at one point they like separate them and, you know, it becomes kind of part of the story that they're kind of doing all that kind of stuff. But yeah, and and, and the idea that um, conjoined twins would have uh, relationships with people is completely um, non controversial. I mean, the original quote unquote Siamese twins were uh, Chang and Ng. And um, they each had they each fathered children with separate wives. I was I was looking in the background of these uh, Siamese twins, and apparently they didn't have very happy lives. Apparently they had yeah. like kind of showbiz marriages to both of them had a showbiz marriage to separate gay men. Apparently, right? Yep. Yep. And they they kind of died in poverty, like working at like a grocery store or some shit. From Hong Kong flu, I think they died of. One of them died, and they determined one of them died. First and the other one was like stuck with her for like a couple days, sadly, before she died too. So yeah, which is which is I mean, again, like we we can talk a lot about the you know putting people like this on display and sort of like doing yeah. the the freak show element. You know, obviously, <laughs> obviously there are issues there. You know, I mean, they're yeah. performers and, they're, and they are professional performers. We we can like kind of admire that, um, but and you know, kind of understand the kind of situation that brought them to that place. But the situation that brought them to that place is like a complete lack of social support for them. Yes. Outside yep. of like institutions or outside of, you know, if you happen to be born wealthy with, you know, a disability like this, you could maybe get by. But even then, like there are medical complications and all sorts of stuff. And so for a lot of people who have this sort of thing, I mean, being a part of the freak show is really your only your only option. You know, it's, it's yeah. do it or die, basically. And, um, you know, so. Uh, you know, it's hard to say, like, there's a bit of a social good kind of going on there, but also this, you know, does kind of speak to, if we do read this as sort of a uh, a film about class struggle in a way, like, that's definitely kind of part of what's going on. Because, like, look, you know, Cleopatra can go off and do her own thing. Like, she, mm-hmm. she doesn't have to do this, right? She can walk off and, you know, kind of rejoin high society or kind of, I mean, she's like a trapeze artist, I think, is what? Like, Something her, like that, yeah. You know? And, uh, you know, obviously that's a skill, and, you know, like, we're mm-hmm. not going to, I'm not diminishing that, but like she has other options in her life, you know, than to be here. But if you're if you're like the living torso, you really don't have a lot of options unless you know. I mean, you know, um, although ironically, you know, <laughs> you know, a voice for radio or something, you know. I mean, there are there yeah. are you know kind of technological options, I guess, by this point in the 30s. But I actually know a number of people with like kind of various uh, disabilities online. Um, mm-hmm. Through some some of my other work, you know, a lot of people who do have disabilities, you know, do spend a lot of time online and then do kind of get involved in activist causes because, you know, it is actually possible in the 21st century, you know, to exist in a wheelchair and to kind of like live your life online. And one of the things that the pandemic has kind of given people is, yeah, now you're stuck inside, you can't go out anywhere and you need like delivery services and you need to be able to telecommute to your job. Well, guess what? People who are disabled have needed that for the whole like time. 
and kind of, you know, now you're getting to see like a hint of what it was like for the rest of us. Yeah, suck it up, princess. You know, like, and of course, like, what's going to happen the second, like, we don't have the pandemic anymore? Like, it's all like, there's never going to be like all those services are just going to go away because, like, oh, well, now the able people you know, don't need it anymore. And, um, yeah, I'm sorry, that's a bit of a sideline, but it isn't because, I mean, the no. film does, does kind of explore those ideas a little bit. You know, when you're the living torso and, like, <laughs> you can light a match and light your cigarette for yourself. And that's, like, a an act so amazing that uh, you can literally do it on stage to thunderous applause. <laughs> that mm-hmm. speaks a lot to, you know, what you're going to be able to kind of give back to society in a way and kind of what your employability prospects are. And in a world in which we are measured by our productivity, you know, you either work and provide value for a, for an employer mm-hmm. or fucking die. <laughs> yeah. Know? And, and, and now we got a bunch of, this is the height of the depression. Sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. And now we got a bunch of 30 year old dude bros with all their physical faculties intact, complaining about wearing a fucking face mask in public. You right, know? Like exactly. it's just, it's ridiculous. Um, fucking Karen's Karen's what, what's, what's the male version? Kin? I don't know. <laughs> I think so. I think we decided Ken was the male version. Yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, this is this is really goddamn good. Um, I, I like that Force or Forso, uh, Froso, whatever his fucking name Froso. is, Froso and Venus. They're like depicted, no, you know, they're, they're they're the the counter to uh, Cleopatra and Hercules. Like they're the polar opposites, and yeah. and Venus is actually the uh, owner of the carnival. Like she's running the show, right? right apparently, yeah. so she's. She's depicted as, you know, actually kind of taking care of these people and actually treating them humanely, which which probably didn't happen a lot, honestly, in real carnivals back in the day. Right. But I mean, yeah, but, that's a romanticized image. And certainly if you're going to read the sort of like capitalist class struggle, mm-hmm. you know, situation, you know, ultimately, um, you know, they're probably just as much villains as, as anyone, <laughs> you know, in the yeah. You know, because I mean, you know, you got these people under your, like, literally under your, under your heel, right? Like, you know, like you work for me, or you know, again, go off and die. <laughs> you know, there's not, mm. not a lot of options. Yeah. If the pinheads didn't have this, they'd be like in a really bad mental hospital in the 1930s. <laughs> like, you know. Oh, yeah, they, yeah, no. I mean, and those institutions are, I mean, are horrifying. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, institutions today are horrifying. Let's not pretend that that's not the case. Yeah. But like, certainly in the 30s, I mean, you know, you're you're literally just like living in your own shit. Like there's just, yep. just no option, you know, in a straight jacket, you know, under, you know, essentially physical or mental or torture, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, yeah. which a lot of facilities are that today. Let's not pretend that's not true, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but certainly in the thirties, that would have been, you know, um, even, even more so because there was even less of a sense of, you know, kind of humanitarianism. And it was, um, you know, uh, Helen Keller and her mm-hmm. uh, experiences, her writing, um, I mean, she joined the IWW and particularly was like talking about like how, you know, blindness and deafness are often caused by like lack of nutrition in the uh, uh, among, you know, in in pov- people in poverty didn't have uh, proper nutrition during when they were gestating children. And therefore, you know, children would be born with deformities or they'd be yep. born deaf and blind, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, so it is you know, like, you know, to the degree, you know, thank a socialist, basically. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta say, my favorite uh, performance here is Daisy Earls as uh, Frida. Uh, I think she's fucking great. I mean, Hans is actually kind of a a dick at first. Like, you know, like imagine 
because they're supposed to be either engaged or actually married. I, I can't remember which one it was, but imagine talking in front of brother and sister in real life. So yeah, like, you know. Like... But I mean, imagine talking in front of your fiance about how beautiful this normal woman is and how lovely she is and shit. Like, dude, and Frida just puts on like this great performance. Like, she's got these just really sad, long looks several mm-hmm. times, and especially um, at the wedding, uh, the wedding uh, dinner. The, the, where she's just looking so pathetically sad and she's just looking at Hans being used by these assholes and it's yeah, almost, it's just so heartbreaking. Before, she sees it long before he does. And, yeah. you know, it's ultimately also like, you know, there is a sort of like a self-hating aspect to it for, for Hans because mm-hmm. you know, like, well, if I marry this, you know, beautiful woman and I have, you know, then I have an entree into, you know, another kind of life, you know, yeah. And I don't have to be this forever. Right. And um, so there is this kind of like, you know, dynamic. And again, people, people do kind of run into this in, in terms of their, 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 in terms of their real lives, in terms of, you know, trying to um, figure out how to navigate that. And that's, I mean, that's a difficult thing to ask and say, you know, like, well, no, you gotta be, you gotta be impoverished and working in the freak show your entire life. That's mm-hmm. the only in life you know to han's credit though like at the end he knows what a shit he was like he he, oh, he yeah. just he just wants to like wallow in self-pity and and you know torture himself for the rest of his life but uh you know there there's some sort of uh reconciliation at the end which is nice it gives a bit of a happy ending and stuff which which i like yeah i mean it does uh speak to the fact that the film is really about you know in, in a lot of ways he's the you know, his his uh, kind of turn is, is sort of the, the narrative arc of the, the film, you know, because mm-hmm. he starts off as kind of being a bit of a shit about this and yep. then kind of like kind of accepting his place in the world and kind of embracing uh, the woman that he loves, uh, his sister. Yep. <laughs> in, <laughs> in real life, no, it's fine, it's fine. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, uh, you know, uh, dwarves were probably a bit hard to come by. So, you know, it's like, well, let's just cast them together. They're both, they're both, uh, you know, they're both, uh, I think they were German descent. Uh, yeah, both yeah. Of them were, yeah. Yeah. And they're, and they're both really good. I mean, they are really good. Phenomenal performers. Um, so, yeah. Actually, I think a lot of the performances are really good. Like, even though a lot of them are just, you know, the, uh, the, the sideshow performers, you know, just doing their thing that they do the, the level of authenticity is really good. Like, I, I don't think any of the performances are necessarily, all that stilted or bad at all. Like uh, I, I liked everything in this and, and I mean, it helps that it's only an hour and like four minutes or whatever the hell it is, but uh, it doesn't, it doesn't wear out as welcome. I mean, you know, even, even at 90 minutes, I think it it would be interesting to see the 90 minute version, obviously, but Mm -hmm. I think that's a, the plot is pretty slight. I mean, a lot of the point of the film is just to spend a lot of time in this world. I mean, you know, we do kind of get a plot, you know, and it is, it is an interesting plot. It is good. That's, you know, kind of have, a story to tell, but at the same time, the point is really to, to kind of hang out with these people and get to watch them kind of go about their their lives and to and, and again to humanize them. And I think that that's kind of the thing that you know probably gets Browning into trouble. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I know we're I know we're going to talk a bit about kind of what Browning's uh, what the response to the film was. <clears throat> Before we get there, I would like to talk about the ending and just sort of the the, mm-hmm. the more horror elements of it because I think we've established that while it you know partakes of the tropes of horror it doesn't really work kind of 100 percent of the horror film but the end of the film definitely kind of you know you, you do sort of get this sense of you know this comeuppance yeah <laughs> it's it's brilliantly shot and I, I love the i love the kind of like the rolling around in the mud scenes because yeah. you know we're kind of like uh, we're uh, running down this uh this kind of muddy uh you know like trail 
in the rain and then when they get stuck and then you know that's essentially when they start to kind of come after yeah, Cleopatra. A lot of the, I mean, you know, the, the living torso carrying the knife in his mouth and like, you know, doing his like, like inchworming his way around. And I mean, you know, it's very easy to see that and kind of think that it's kind of a funny scene, you know, like it's a, mm. it's a little moment, but it's really not. I mean, within the confines of the film, I mean, you like, no, this, I'm going to fucking stab you. I can light a cigarette with this. I can definitely stab your ass. Yeah. No, the, the the great thing is the sideshow people that are crawling and then there's, you know, this great scene, like they're crawling through the mud under these wagons. There's a storm going on. They all got like knives in their mouths and stuff. You know, they're just crawling along. All the ones that are crawling are actually going after Hercules, who's just got a knife thrown in the side and he can't walk. So he's crawling as well. So they're crawling after him like they they're keeping it equal, right? They're like they're keeping down at his level or whatever, you know, right, which yeah. is great. And uh, Cleopatra, she gets chased through the woods by uh, some of the others who were actually trying to kill her on on the wagon car that she was in until it crashed and that gave her a chance to run. That's where you see that great scene where she looks back and sees them coming after her and, and the dude without the uh, lower half of his torso with with who walks on his arms and he's going faster than anyone else in the thing. And it's like, no, he's, he's amazing. He's yeah. So- yeah, no, no, definitely. Uh, Johnny Eck is the half boy. Yeah, and it's it's. Uh, I mean, frankly, it's nightmare fuel when you when you look when you get those images of you know these these uh, sideshow performers coming at you with uh, knives in their teeth. You, you don't well, want to see that. Like, you think about like the half boy. You think about mm-hmm. like how strong his arms have to be in order to you know to carry himself around like that. Mm-hmm. And you think like you don't want to piss that guy off. Like that guy's gonna be able to rip you apart. <laughs> you know, if he yeah. gets if he gets the chance for a second, you are done. <laughs> yep. you know? Again, I think the film does sort of lean slightly on the like, well, these are like they're they're circus freaks and they're kind of coming after me, you know, sort of thing. It does. But yeah. I don't. But I don't like a. That's just sort of the way it's shot. That's that's like yep. that's, that's the way it's it's directed because like that's an effective way of presenting it. And I can you can I can definitely see how that's kind of problematic. But at the same time, our sympathy in that moment is never with the Mm-mm. fucking assholes. You know? Yeah, our sympathy is with the fucking freaks, right? You know. Yeah. And so it, it to me it reads as less like you know oh my god you know I it reads as less um, you know like look at the freaks being freaks and being scary and more like, you know, your fucking badass is shot in like German expressionist style. Oh yeah. This, this movie has every opportunity to exploit these people as monsters and it never does. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, credit where credit's due here. It's, uh, you're always on their side and you just get a really great sense of these people as people in a community and they're, you know, they're taking care of their, own problems you know like they're they're getting back at these assholes who <laughs> fucked them over it's, it's mutual aid <laughs> yeah it is <laughs> like, you know, they're fucking antifas what they are <laughs> <sighs> we don't need we don't need no fucking cops <laughs> no 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 they, they do self-police that's for sure yeah. yeah um but yeah uh this is this is um not a first time watch for me, so I can't put it on my best of list. But I would if if it was. Yeah, no, um, clearly, yeah, no. I mean, yeah, this is a, this has been a great year, as we've said before. This would almost certainly end up on our best of list, you know, if it was a first time watch, even even in this year. So yeah. we'll go through a little bit of trivia here. Uh, there there was a shit ton of trivia to go through. I I just picked a couple things here. Um, 
So in the United States, this film was banned in a number of states and cities, although no longer enforced. Some of the laws were nef- never officially repealed. So if you wanted to like technically ban this film in some states, apparently, you could still do it. <laughs> it's still on the books. <laughs> Harry Earls and Daisy Earls are members of the Doll family, which were an American quartet of sibling entertainers with dwarfism uh, from uh, Stopin, Germany. Some of them actually also played as munchkins in uh, Wizard of Oz. So... Uh, Yes, yes. Yeah, they they had some pretty, uh, out of like all the performers here, I think they probably had the longest careers in film. Like they, they were still working quite a bit up until up until their deaths, I think in the 60s or something like that. Let's see here. I mean, people with dwarfism do have like sort of other health problems often, yeah. you, know, you know, depending on circumstances. But, you know, some of them do actually live, you know, for, for quite a long time. And so it know, was, I was, I was, yeah, I was looking at like the lifespans of all, all the people in this, all the uh, performers. And, you know, usually we look at cast lists from this era and it's like, Oh, they all died at age 40 of, you know, like heart attacks and stuff, you know, <laughs> he always had a heart attack from like smoking a billion cigarettes a day or like, yeah, Committed in alcoholism and died in a car accident. Like you know, I mean, by the standards of like you know actors and movies around this time, a lot of them lived you know perfectly you know standard lives. You know? They lived, yeah, a lot of them lived into the like up until their sixties or so, or even more. Like uh, mm-hmm. like the the torso Uncle Phil there, he lived into his sixties. So you know. yeah, no, he was he died a couple of years after the movie mm-hmm. was made. He was like 65 or something at the time this was made. And he does not look it like that, that, yeah. you know, that man, you know, I was thinking like, you know, I remember first seeing that I was like, Oh, he looks like 35 there, but no, he's, he's in his mid sixties. And, you know, again, I guess, I guess if you're the human torso, you can sort of have to like stay in shape or, you know, you don't really, I mean, I, and the, again, that's, that's not to defend it. I mean, that's just saying like, <laughs> you either stay in shape to, be able to do your circus performer thing or you die, you know? Like, oh, I mean, there, I, I looked at, there's, there's a picture. I'm going to turn you in for a chicken. And <laughs> <laughs> like, no, there, there, there's a, there's a picture of him without like that sack he's wearing. Mm-hmm. Dude was cut. He had oh, no yeah, arms and no legs, but he was in shape, man. Like he, he was cut. He, he, if he had his arms and legs, he'd be an athlete. Like, well, yeah. he, I mean, let me, I mean, not to, not to be an asshole, but he is an athlete. Yeah. Like, yeah, that, yeah. Yeah. You know, that's the point, you know? Like he is like, again, if the only way you can get around is to like drag yourself along the floor with no arms and no legs, mm-hmm. you know, you'd look like that. Too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So although production chief Irving uh, Thalberg decided to recut the picture immediately after the disastrous test screening, he could not cancel the world premiere on January 28th and 32 uh, at the Fox theater in San Diego. Uh, this is the only venue at which the uncut versions of freaks is known to have played. And ironically, the uncut uh, version of freaks was a major box office success. Uh, crowds lined up around the blocks to see the picture, uh, which broke the uh, theater's house record. And by the end of the run word had spread that freaks was about to be butchered and the theater advertised your last opportunity to see freaks in its uncensored form. It's a shame that nobody saved that negative. Like that's just, or that, that print, like yeah. I mean, it is legitimately a, a crime to history, but you know, not the first or last time we've kind of run into that problem. <laughs> yeah. Dwarf uh, Angelo uh, Rosado, who appears as uh, Angelino, 
uh, would go on for a successful career uh, in TV and films. And he's probably best known as the master opposite Mel Gibson in Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome as part of Master mm. Blaster. Yeah. Wow. And I was like, I was like, yeah, I recognize that guy. And then I went to, tra- that's fucking him. Jesus Christ. He lived yeah. into, yeah, into the 80s. I think he might even live a little bit longer than that. He, he was around for a while, man. He was in Beretta, too, in the 70s. Like I said, some of these people were pretty long-lived, man. They, 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 they went on for a while. After the film had been withdrawn and shelved by MGM, the dis- distribution rights uh, were acquired by notorious exploitation roadshow specialist Dwayne Esper. And Esper traveled the country showing the film under the lurid titles as Forbidden Love and Nature's Mistakes. <laughs> Imagine seeing this film. Imagine seeing this film and going, you know, what we're gonna call it nature's mistakes. I just imagine, like, with a big stogie, you know, like, you know, mm-hmm. we gotta, we gotta kill the fucking freaks, man. You know, like, you know, <laughs> in, in in some venues, he would follow up this feature with a another reel of nudist camp footage, basically. Like, he would he would splice it in in the end and stuff like that. Like, he he went for the whole. We're, we're we're going for you know broke here. You're gonna get see you're gonna see some freaks and you're gonna see some titties. You know, like. <laughs> he should have he should have just gone whole hog and done like uh, freaks with titties. <laughs> <laughs> he should have made his own movies. Is is what he should have done, I guess. Uh, anyway, yeah. So Todd Browning's career never recovered from uh, the initial release of this. From then on, MGM put him on a tight creative leash. So of his subsequent films, only The Devil Doll from 36 has some of the spirit of his earlier work. Well, that's an opinion, so maybe we'll we'll check that out and see. But it is marred by the compromise script and a weak ending. Uh, Browning retired in 39 and spent the rest of his life in seclusion, unfortunately. This was the movie that kind of crippled him, so, you know. Um, that is kind of sad. Um, <laughs> they had a weird choice of words there, Cripple. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, I didn't want to say disfigured him or yeah, you know disabled was, him, was, but he uh, was brought low to the status. Oh man, no, no. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Alluding to what I, I mentioned earlier, uh, the film's original ending showed Hercules singing soprano in Madame uh, Tetralini's new sideshow because he had been castrated by the freaks, and apparently this was one of the things that really got a negative reaction from the preview audiences. Uh, So uh, several variations of the ending are still in existence. However, the footage of Hercules singing soprano was not included in any of the foreign versions and is now regarded as lost. So this is stuff that might still exist somewhere, but uh, who knows? So this was a financial failure. Uh, The budget was originally around 200,000, but it jumped up to somewhere between uh, 310,000 to 350,000. And the box office was only 341000 So uh, it was a negative reviews, like, tank this, I guess. So, and Despite the fact that audiences clearly discovered it in that one theater in San Diego, and mm-hmm. it, was, it was a hit there. And so it's interesting that, like, you know, well, <laughs> let's just be honest here, you know, like, a bunch of rich fucking asshole critics... <laughs> Gave this like bad reviews and crushed Todd Browning's career, you know. Like, you know it's, like, it also, it's, yeah, it's hard to not see this as like a again sort of a symptom of the same class struggle that the film is kind of about, right? You know, like it, it, it really like I didn't do too deep of a dive in this, but it really feels like there was like some sort of uh, equivalent to the temperance movement, probably like yeah. just just 
hamstrung this film from the get-go when when they heard about what was in it and shit, right? It was just, you know, it's kind of a moral majority kind of thing, you know, just whatever. Well, you know, how dare you show the lives of, and again, like Todd Browning being someone who grew up in the sideshow, who like these, Mm -hmm. in a sense, he's describing his life and the life of the people that he's familiar with and the life of the people that, that he kind of came up with. Yep. And um, he's, you know, in a sense, it is like there is a kind of autobiographical element to this, right? Yeah. And, you know, it's hard to it's hard to not just see the class struggle and to see kind of the, the coded eugenicism. You know, no, you can't have a film about these people. Like these are these are yep. people who are not fit to show to ordinary audiences. You know, of course. Despite the fact that audiences, again, the ones who got the chance to see it seem to have embraced the film. And, you know, like, yeah. I mean, if I let my kids see this, my son might grow up to want to marry the bearded lady. And what yeah. would I do then? Yeah, clearly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, fuck. But uh, yeah, that's uh, that's all I have for trivia and stuff. And uh, this is pretty fucking brilliant. So if you haven't seen it, see it. It's it's one of those movies you need to see before you die. You know, if you're if you're into that sort of thing. <laughs> right. How did you uh, How did you watch this? I watched this on YouTube. Perfectly. I, I just rented it on YouTube. Perfectly clean, good-looking version there. Uh, I think it was DVD in 2004 on Warner DVD. And uh, there's, there's also some subsequent releases, I'm pretty sure, after that. Yeah. But I didn't. Uh, I, I rented it on Amazon. It was great. You know. mm-hmm. That just leaves the question of what we're doing next. Sure. Well, you want to do some more um, horror-ish stuff? Or do you want to you know, take a break for a week or two? Or what do you want to do? So, like, White Zombie and The Old Dark House are sort of the two, uh, like, horror movies that are set for 32. We could do I'm a Fugitive from a Chain Gang. That one is probably worth doing by itself. Uh, we've also got the the two Marlene Dietrich films, uh, Blonde Venus and Shanghai Express, if mm. you swerve into that. So it's kind of just kind of like, well, you want to do a little bit more horror, or you want to kind of, you know, take a break for a week or two, or, you know, kind of whatever you want to do. I am going to have a pretty busy week. Uh, okay. This week, and if and there is some question, if I'll even be able to record on Saturday. So let's just do White Zombie. We'll just settle on White Zombie for now, and and see where it goes. You know, uh, well, we'll let people know what's going on uh, later on in the week or whatever to see where we are with this. But uh, we'll, yeah, uh, we'll sure. just yeah, we'll just settle for White Zombie now, and uh, I think that'll be good. Yeah, no, sounds good. White Zombie. Yeah. <laughs> Got to put some put some Rob Zombie music on that episode. I'm not doing that. <laughs> I'm not doing that. <laughs> Fuck that shit. More human than human, motherfucker. Come on, let's you know. Let's go. I can I can find more appropriate music than Rob Zombie. You go you go fuck himself. <laughs> I'm not I am not All a right. fan of his solo career. I'm not a fan of his. A lot of his movies. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. White Zombie though. Next for White Zombie for next week. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. So Daniel, tell people where they can find you on the interwebs. I'm on Twitter at Daniel Lee Harper. If you want to come follow me, uh, I also do a podcast. If you like, can listen to me talk about eugenicist assholes. Um, you can come listen to me talk about the 21st century version of them. I do a podcast called "Don't Speak German," which is about them. And how terrible they are, and uh, it's good. And, and most of them, most of them don't look like Hercules in this film. They just <laughs> most of like, them do not look like Hercules. Yeah. Most of them do not know. 
<laughs> you know, very much so, very much so, yeah. They're more the undermensch than the ubermensch. Uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah. and uh, I am the find... master race, don't you understand? <laughs> master blaster. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you can find us at tmbdos.podbean.com, where you can find our Apple Podcasts, Facebook, and YouTube links. Join the Facebook group, best way to get in touch with us, uh, find out what's going on, leave feedback. But now, of course, you have the option, if you so choose, to leave us feedback in audio form. If you would like to email me, you can email me at reviews at gmail.com. And I'll actually provide that in the uh, show notes uh, this time out so you can uh, see that. It's also uh, now in the official About thing in the Facebook uh, group. So if, if you want to send an MP3 through that, uh, we will play it on the show and react to it live. I feel like I feel like uh, you should uh, you should do this like sing songy thing of like H O U G L G O Y M O U S E Googly Mouse Googly Mouse. Sorry, that was. I'm not as talented as Rob Zombie. I can't do that shit. We should be done. We should. We should be done. Yeah. I just did, I just did that joke and uh, it's it, we're done. It's over. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Gabba Gabba, hey guys, uh, we'll see you later. Uh, we accept you as one of us, by the way. We definitely yeah, yeah, yeah. do. Yeah, we do. One of us, one of us. Google Gobble, one of us. Google Gobble. We put up our tent on a dark green knoll outside of town by the train tracks in a seagull dump. Topping the bill was horseface Ethel and her marvelous pigs in satin. Pounded our stakes in the ground, all powder brown. The branches spread like scary fingers reaching. We were in a pasture outside Kankakee. And one-eyed Myra, queen of the galley, who trained the ostrich and the camels. She looked at me squinting with her one good eye and a Roy Orbison t-shirt. She bottle fed an orangutan named Tripod. And then there was Yodeling Elaine, the Queen of the Air, who wore a dollar sign medallion. She had a tiny bubble of spittle around her nostril and a little rusty tear, for she'd lassoed and lost another tipsy sailor. And over in the burnt yellow tent, By the frozen tractor, the music was like electric sugar. And Zuzu Bolin played Stave and Chain. And Mighty Tiny on the saw. And he threw his head back with a mouthful of gold teeth. And they played Lopsided Heart and Moon over Dog Street. And by the time they finished moaning low, I was soaking wet and wild-eyed. And Dr. Bliss slipped me a preparation. I fell asleep with livery stable blues in my ear.
And me and Molly Huey drank Pruno and Kool-Aid. And she had a tattoo gun made out of a cassette motor and a guitar string. And she soaked a hanky in three roses and rubbed it on the spot. And drew a rickety heart and a bent arrow. And it hurt like hell. And funeral wells spun Poodle Murphy on the target as he threw his hardware. Only once in Sheboygan did he miss at a matinee on Diamond Pier, and she'd never let him forget it. They were doing two shows. She had a high fever, and it took off a piece of her ear. And Tip Little told her she should leave the bum. And Poodle said he fetched me last time I run. But I'd like to hammer this ring into a bullet. And I wish I had some whiskey and a gun, my dear. I wish I had some whiskey and a gun, my dear.
Thank you for listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Site. For further episodes, our Apple Podcasts, Facebook, and YouTube links, please go to tmbdos.podbean.com. Thank you. Drive through. <laughs>